And he says, the things you said that night prompted me to look for if God is there. And he says, Jesus came to my heart. I want to tell you what one Bible do if you place it into the hands of a person who is searching for God. Today, a story of God's Word breaking through man-made barriers to reach the human heart. This is First Person. Welcome to our conversation. I'm Wayne Shepherd. I'll introduce today's guest to you in just a moment, but first, a recommendation for you to visit us online at firstpersoninterview.com. We've published a schedule there that will inform you of upcoming programs, plus there's an audio archive to explore, many, many interviews which you can listen to at any time. It's all at firstpersoninterview.com. And don't forget that we also can be found on Facebook at facebook.com slash firstpersoninterview. Well, Americans in general still have mixed feelings about Russia and the countries of the former Soviet Union, but we should never forget that there are believers in those places who are attempting to live faithful lives in obedience to God, and they are our brothers and sisters in Christ. I've asked Sergei Rakuba, president of Russian Ministries, to join me today to tell us his own story of how the Word of God reached him in Ukraine as a small child living under communism. Uh, Wayne, the Bible was a prohibited book. You know, they would allow to have one Bible in the family it was, if it was printed, you know, in the Soviet Union. So we had one of those Bibles, you know, that dad used, you know, when he went to any uh, church meetings, you know, where he was involved in or he was preaching from that Bible. Mm-hmm. So from that Bible, they would read to us, you know, uh, uh, children, you know, and I was the youngest, you know. I uh, remember that Bible was well used Bible in a house. <laughs> uh-huh. you know, so. But to have something uh, in addition to the Bible or any other piece of Christian literature, you know, uh, printed outside of the Soviet Union, it was a crime. It had to be smuggled in. Uh, that's, that's, and so lots of the smuggled literature actually, you know, ended, uh, you know, in the hands of underground uh, church uh, leaders, you know, those who used to train their congregations, you know, and, uh, and so on. So I remember when I was a child and I was just learning how to read and I was bringing all kind of new ideas uh, you know back home from my school and I would talk to my dad simply like I say dad you know you told me that Jesus was that person who lived lives will live forever by the way my teacher told me it was Vladimir Lenin you know something is uh, you were getting indoctrinated (laughs) weren't you (laughs) so and that's my dad would say don't listen to your teacher you know it's (laughs) so and you can imagine how confused i mean confusing it would be for a boy sure. uh, yeah. like that yeah. so i remember one day he came and there was something different about my dad so uh before talking to me when you are a boy you know and your dad is involved in your life you know sometimes punishing more than you think you know <laughs> you could have you know uh, you think something is going on so before talking to me he locked the door and then he pulls out of uh, his working coat a Bible. I mean, it was a book. I did not know it was a Bible yet. And he opened that. He showed that to me and said, Sergey, I want you to read this is the Bible. This is the Bible specially designed for children. So he was giving the Bible to you. So he gave me that Bible. He says, but when you read this, when you learn how to read, read through the Bible. You know. So then don't tell anybody at school, anybody outside of this house. After you finish reading, 
there is a place where you hide it, you know, oh, so it, it was our secret. Now, how was it that that Bible was provided? How did he get a copy? And I understand it was handwritten. That when there was a hand-printed children's Bible. So somebody risked their life, hand-copy the entire text of a specially designed Bible for children so that they would hand-print it, you know, with a special ink. Then they put it on a, a big thing, you know, filled with the jello, make 10 Max maybe 15 copies, and then bind this hand-binded Bibles, and it was a thick like this, and so then they would have to reprint it. So again. this was a very special gift. This this was a precious gift given to you by your father. When it was, I cannot describe the feeling. Even now, you know, I'm emotionally kind of going back to those days. Those not evenly printed letters, they still in front of my eyes. The stories I for the first time read in that Bible. They follow me through all my life. Mm. You know, when I went to Moody Bible Institute as a student, you know, I came, if you remember, you know, back oh, I you remember know, you during those in, days. in 1990. I remember, you know, rereading again those Bible stories, but in their freshness, they come back to me in the image that imprinted in my mind. You're when still I was, seeing those pages, those when handwritten I, when pages. I, when I read those pages. So it had a huge impact on my life, still has. So after I finished reading that, you know, my dad, of course, gave me some, uh, you know, tests. You know, he wanted to make sure, you know, I remember things. He was enjoying, you know, <laughs> me, you know, kind of repeating huh. those, those stories. But somebody else had to get that. Yes, so I had yes. to pass it on. You know, another kid yeah. had to read that Bible. Isn't that remarkable? But you had to keep it a secret. You couldn't tell anybody at school that you had that Bible. When at that time, if somebody would learn, you know, that that secretly printed, you know, children's Bible, you know, and they thought, you know, and the communists, you know, they thought that children, yeah. you know, get indoctrinated by Christian parents. Right. So my dad would go to jail. Did you eventually get another Bible then? Okay, I was, uh, that was my first Bible. You know, I was so much impressed, you know, I was so much, I mean, the impact on my life was obvious, you know, of course. Uh, but then I started, uh, um, you know, growing and wandering around, you know, when you come to teens years, you know, you question, you know, if your parents are right, you know, mm -hmm. with all the philosophy, f philosophies, you know, sure. so that they uh, kind of uh, pass on we to you. We have to make our faith our <laughs> own faith, don't we? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I was following them to church, you know, I was making friends at church, but there were some points, you know, when I started having some doubts in my heart. So, but then I remember it was a special moment, special moment, you know, when God challenged me, you know, that's when I had to make a decision either forward to follow him or, you know, go right. uh, part your, ways. Your doubts you know, would take yeah. over. Yeah, sure. So, and I'm so glad, you know, I made the decision then. So my older brother, you know, and everybody was so happy that the youngest, you know, four siblings, you know, my parents. <laughs> you were the baby of the family. You know, and I, you know, I made a decision to follow Christ, you know. Uh, and so my brother, you know, he had the connections already. He was, I mean, he's eight years older than me. I was 16, so he just finished his army service and came home, you know, and reestablished his connection with the underground It was uh, still church. illegal for him to have a Bible or sure. to give you a Bible. I, I, I'm talking about mid-70s uh, now, so it was still illegal to have— So where did he get this Bible? Uh, when somebody smuggled that Bible, you know, to the Soviet Union. It was printed in Sweden— in the Russian language, and somebody had to risk their life 
to smuggle it to Russia so that uh, a young person like me would get that Bible. Isn't this amazing that when you needed it, God's word was there for you? Exactly. You know, but, you know, for me, it was so valuable. You know, my first love, if you know what I mean, had to be, um, I don't know, fed with, you know, new passion stories, if I can say. So my first love was flourishing when I was reading that Bible. And I started competing with some of my Christian friends. You know, we were kind of, you know, underlining those sentences, you know, meaningful <laughs> words, you know, memorizing. You were growing in Christ. It was wonderful. It was wonderful. <laughs> Sergey, we have a few moments here that I want you to talk about what happened to that Bible, because you actually passed that Bible along to someone else. Tell me that story. Yeah, what happened? You know, I was reading, memorizing that Bible. I was, uh, uh, you know, it was a source of my spiritual growth, a source of my faith, you know, I was uh, building on it, you know, and I was growing in my relationship with Christ. Uh, but as you know, in the Soviet Union, you know, Christians were not just in the minority, they were in outcasts. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I remember uh, living in Ukraine in a larger city, an industrial city in Zaporozhye. Uh, some atheistic activists, they decided to put some events together just in order to ridicule Christians, you know. Mm-hmm. So in the university, uh, medical university in, in our city, they would organize a specially designed uh, disputes, you know, where they would call uh, methodologically or uh, scientifically uh, using atheistic kind of methods, they will prove that there is no God. So they would disprove the existence of God using science. Exactly. That was you know, their that, whole purpose. That's what they were trying to do. And so you find yourself in one of these meetings? So I, myself and a few of my friends, uh, we invited one of the, at that time, you know, he, he managed to get his medical degree. So he was a doctor, one of a very few, if not a single one in entire Soviet Union, entire country. Uh, but he was a believer. So we invited him to this dispute. And so the purpose of those disputes uh, was to ridicule Christian faith, Mm -hmm. you know, so just to disprove that there is God, you know, and so on. So, and they were trying to do this. And then they ask a question, if there is somebody in the audience who wants to come and say something, uh, you know, an opposite. So, and we definitely introduced uh, Alexander, he was, he, his name was. So he went forward, he got on the platform, and one by one, you know, he took all those arguments, false arguments that there is no God, you know, down. So the, at the end of the dispute, you know, the entire audience, over a thousand people stood up and just simply applauded. <laughs> so it was a huge victory. You, you must know, have for, felt elated and suddenly you know, uh, affirmed that someone really did believe what you believe. When it was just, I I cannot, you know, I cannot convey, you know, the excitement, you know, we we had. And so, uh, but, you know, there were lots of young people, students, you know, uh, in that school that definitely they were studying atheism and they wanted to argue with us with a few questions. They wanted to challenge you and they wanted to disprove. I have to stop you right there for just a moment. We're going to come back to this story. Sure. Sergey Rakuba, my guest today on First Person. Next time, we'll talk with pro-life counselor Kim Katola. I had never thought about an abortion. I had never, ever considered the political debate. I had never weighed it in my mind as a moral decision. It was simply, here's a solution to this problem that you're faced with. What Kim has learned about God's love and forgiveness, she now passes on to others. And you'll learn about it next week on First Person.
My guest today on First Person is Sergei Rakuba, who is president of Russian Ministries Today. It's an amazing ministry, and we'll talk more about that in a few moments. But I interrupted a story you were telling about when you were a teenager, you're in front of an audience of a thousand, or you're included in the audience of a thousand plus people where they're touting atheism, and a Christian gets up and speaks. And then other atheists out of the audience come and want to argue with you. So, and we spent a few hours, you know, it was through mid of night, you know, after that uh, dispute, you know, that public big meeting, uh, arguing with this young man. Uh, I almost even forgot his name, you know, but, uh, you know, the story ends, you know, in a very unexpected way. So we spent that night together. He was trying to prove that there is no God. I was trying to prove, based on the knowledge I already have reading the Bible, that there is God. Now, he felt superior to you, didn't he? He was older, of course. You know, he was more educated. You know, he was trying to prove because I did not have education. I didn't know the scientific facts, you know, and uh, I just simply, uh, you know, blindly follow, uh, you know, the faith, you know, of older people, you know, and here you are, this young teenager with a Bible under your arm. Uh, do you feel like you made any headway at all with him? Yeah, we, we, we had a wonderful, wonderful conversation, you know. I felt proud, you know, so that I had a chance to defend my God. I defend my faith verbally, you know, without any... And it was, it was a special, special thing for me. So we could not finish that uh, night, you know. We did not have phones, but I gave him my address. And I say, if you have any questions, don't hesitate to come. And I was so surprised when next day <laughs> he showed up at our house and we continued our conversation. <laughs> but, you know, we were not surrounded by, you know, not necessarily supportive right. crowd. Yeah. But, you know, there was my dad, my older brother. So you had some moral support there. Huh? <laughs> I had some support. My dad enjoyed watching me, a young kid, you know, just yeah. trying to prove, uh, you know, the point, you know, for God. We could not finish. You know, we could not get into agreement, as you can imagine this. And I just simply, I looked at my Bible, I remember that. And I just... I said, okay, Constantine, you can have this Bible. This is this the is, one your brother had given to you. This is the one, you know, was given to me when I accepted Christ as my personal Savior. It was given to me by my brother as a gift, that smuggled Bible. I will use that, you know, with, uh, just over a year or so. And I gave this to this young man. So, and I, uh, I mean, time passed. I even forgot about this. I was drafted to the Soviet Army, spent over two years there. So came home, got so much involved in youth ministries, then three years later, got married, moved to Moscow. Uh, then, you know, the opportunity came, I came to Moody Bible Institute, you know. So you lost touch with Constantine. I lost touch with him, and I, you know, we did not have emails, phones, you know, anything at the time. But then a few years back, you know, that's over 25 years since that conversation, that meeting happened, I came to our Moscow office and somebody says, Sergey, there is a special letter for you waiting for you in your mailbox. So I take that, it was a postcard. And it starts, Sergey, greetings. My name is Konstantin. You probably don't remember me anymore, but you forgot me. But, you know, I started kind of you know, wow, yeah. there's the, something special. The connections you know, are firing you know, here. Okay. Yeah, and uh, you call it goosebumps, you know, <laughs> go up and down on your back, you know, and then I read it further and he says, the things you said that night, he says, never let me rest. Hmm. You know, I, you know, so kind of, you know, that prompted me to look for if God is there. And he says, Jesus came to my heart. He says, I've finished seminary. 
I'm a pastor now, <laughs> and he gives me town, you know, he gives me a phone number. Of course, I called him right away. But it just, you know, sharing this story, Wayne, I want to tell you what can one Bible yeah. do if you place it into the hands of a person who is searching for God. Well, that explains a lot why you have such a passion today through Russian ministries to provide Bibles in the countries of the former Soviet Union. I wish we had a whole hour to talk about this this next thing, but Russian Ministries is actually very actively printing and distributing Bibles today, but not just one version of the Bible. Tell me about different emphases that you take in printing these Bibles. You see, when we realized, you know, we kind of rediscovered a huge need, if I can say, in the printed Word of God for the next generation in the countries of the former Soviet Union. Uh, so one of our young leaders, you know, came to us with one idea, and I'll say, if you just design it, I mean, design the print a little differently so that it would be a little more attractive for young people, but also share maybe a couple of testimonies of those people, you know, whose life got transformed with the power of uh, God, you know, um, through Scripture, reading Scripture. So, and I thought, wow, it was, it was something in it. So we worked on that idea, and then we came up with this new design of a New Testament, contemporary Russian language. This is what I'm holding right now. That's exactly, you know, that's the that's the print, you know, uh, we we came up with, and so we gathered uh, a dozen of powerful testimonies of young nationals, those whose life got changed, you know, because of Scripture, you know, Scripture led them to... Yeah. These are uh, not foreigners you're reading about now. This is not somebody these from are, Chicago. These are you know? your own people <laughs> that you're hearing their testimonies of coming to Christ. When this is somebody's testimony who lives next door, you know, in their city, in their town, who experiences the same issues in their spiritual, moral life, you know, and so on, so on, so on. But there are two Bibles in this package I'm holding. Why two? Uh, so when we printed this Bible, you know, we gathered a big rally for young people. It was about 1,000 people. Uh, it's called Discovery Rally in Kiev, in the capital of uh, Ukraine. And uh, uh, some of the leaders of the rally, they say, if we invite people, People from churches, young youth, Christian youth, you know, what are we going to tell them? They know a lot, you know, you have to be very creative, you know, in order to start kind of encouraging them, you know, to grow more. But why don't we encourage Christian youth to reach out to those who've never heard about God? So they decided to pack this New Testament, these books, you know, two in one package, you know, uh, and as you see, these two stickers there, they yeah, say it's one and two. Yeah, if you have, if you took the package, open it, you know, the one Bible, this one New Testament, is that's for you. Read it, strengthen your faith, grow in Christ. But since you opened that, so there is a sticker there, <laughs> that's your responsibility. The second one, share your faith. Is it working? It works unbelievably successful, you know. So next rally we had, we had about 40, 45% of people who came holding these Bibles mm. in their hands, mm. middle, I mean, the average age who came to the rally was just 20, 25. It means that all those who got those, that package, you know, so they share their faith, they share the, the, the Word of God. That's wonderful. Now, just briefly, I know that you produce a Bible that's meant specifically for Muslims uh, because Russia has the fastest growing Muslim population in Europe, right? Yeah, and uh, so that idea then led us, you know, we thought, whoa, what about those people that live in all those predominantly Muslim areas in Russia, Northern Caucasus, 
Dagestan, Chechnya. We've heard about Dagestan. Those two young mm-hmm. uh, bombers, yeah, uh, the terrorists in Boston, uh, sure. came to Boston. You know, from from that area. So we say, why don't we try to reach them before they get an idea about terrorism, you know, or any destruction? Uh, why don't we just put a Bible in their hands, you know, before we get a gun, you know, or a bomb? Mm-hmm. So, and then we, uh, following the idea of the Discovery Bible, we thought we will create a special Bible uh, for that for those areas. But we will gather testimonies, successful, pow- powerful testimonies of young people that came to know Christ from uh, the Muslim background. So we printed that Bible now in 10,000 copies, already wow. distributed Fabulous. in Chechnya, Dagestan, Tatarstan, Northern Caucasus areas, basically becoming a great uh, tool in the hands of young Christian leaders, uh, pastors of those churches that are in those areas to reach out to the Muslim community. That's so very exciting. We have just a minute, but you've got to touch on the Bible for young professionals. <laughs> uh, this, is a, this is a class of people in the former Soviet Union that are very influential doctors, lawyers, teachers. Why their own Bible? Uh, Wayne, there is, it's the first generation of trained professional Christians that were allowed to go to get their degree and become doctors, lawyers, business people, Christian teachers that work in public schools. So as I mentioned before, you know, it was so hard to find one educated Christian, you know, because we were not allowed to go to uh, uh, to universities and uh, institutes and so on. So, but today there is a generation of young professionals that we like to equip with this tool and uh, so that they will be able dynamically reach, you know, through it's a great uh, idea. their uh, line of work, you know, so they, they will reach, you know, to their peers. And I know the uh, Winter Olympics are coming up real soon in Sochi in Russia. You have a Bible that you hope to raise funds to uh, print and distribute at the, at the uh, Olympic Wayne, Games. That's a real special opportunity. You know, so you know that the uh, Winter Olympics are, uh, I mean, it's uh, games, you know, coming to Russia. The next, world comes next, to Russia. Ne- next February. And uh, so it will take place uh, in Sochi, the formerly favorite resort place for Soviet hardliners <laughs> like uh, Khrushchev and Stalin. But we come with an idea to print 100,000 the Gospel of John, but printed in a diaglot form, we call it. It's a professional, probably, term, but this is in the parallel Russian and English text. So everybody, all young people, they want to learn English. And so this learning English through reading Scripture prompts them to read it more and more. We offer a salvation plan at the end of this uh, Gospel of John. So we really like people to come along with us and help us to provide 100,000 copies into the hands of young people and pastors in Russia that will distribute it, place into the hands of those whose life will get transformed uh, and changed eternally. I find it remarkable how God's word reached Sergei many years ago in spite of all the restrictions of communism and now God is using him to lead an effort to getting Bibles into the hands of even more people. Well, if there had been time, we could have said so much more about the plans to print and distribute Bibles at the upcoming Winter Olympic Games in Russia, but you'll have to visit us online for more details about this exciting project. You can do that at firstpersoninterview.com. Follow the links to Russian Ministries. Let's not let this opportunity pass by without doing something to help spread God's Word. Go to firstpersoninterview.com and click on Russian Ministries. Of course, you can also follow up today's interview at facebook.com slash firstpersoninterview. We'd love to hear from you there and learn where you hear First Person. That's facebook.com slash firstpersoninterview. 
Next week, you'll meet a woman who uses her painful past to help other men and women suffering from the trauma of deciding in favor of abortion. Kim Katola of Cradle My Heart next time. Now, with thanks to my friend and producer, Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepard. We'll see you next week on First Person. First Person.